Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1137 of the Juicebox Podcast. Natalie is 50 years old. She's using the Omnipod 5, but she was originally diagnosed as a type 2 in 2012 after having gestational diabetes. She just got her type 1 diagnosis three years ago. Today, Natalie and I are going to talk a lot about Omnipod 5 and how it's helped her. She has a hypothyroidism, she says just a little bit, and um, Natalie is actually a returning guest. She was originally in an episode called Cattle Drive which aired on September 14th, 2022. It's episode 754. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. When you place your first order for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year's supply of vitamin D. Drink AG1.com slash juicebox. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by the continuous glucose monitor that my daughter wears, the Dexcom G7. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. Get started today using this link. And you'll not only be doing something great for yourself, you'll be supporting the Juice Box podcast. Hi, I'm Natalie, and I've been using the Omnipod 5 for about a year now. Natalie, how old are you? I am 50 years old, wow. soon to be 51. <clears throat> <laughs> Was the M <laughs> means I'm really 51, basically? No, well, almost. I mm -hmm. mean, it's this month, my birthday, so I might as well say that I'm 51. Well, and my birthday. husband likes to remind me that I'm an entire four months older than he is, so there's that. <laughs> well, happy birthday. That's very nice. <laughs> um, how old were you when you were diagnosed? Well, that's kind of tricky. Um, I had gestational when I was pregnant, um, which was now 20-some years ago. I was diagnosed as a type 2 mm, back in 2012 or so. And then uh, recently... They don't know if I'm type 1 or what they call atypical diabetes, somebody that's type 1 without antibodies. And that came to light a couple of years ago. So, okay. uh, I don't know, 15 so, years, something like that. So, you've been treating yourself as a type 1 for about 15 years? Um, no, I've been treating myself as a type 1 for only about three years. Oh, wow. Um, okay. 15 years total, so, three years as a type 1. Got it. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you a question here that maybe I'll just edit out, uh, depending on how you answer it. Are we telling people you've been on the podcast before or no? We can. Well, but if you don't want to, we'll just chop this part out and I'll keep going. Well, we can tell them. I'm it's, fine with that. Okay. All right. So your episode was what? Seven. My episode was the cattle drive episode and you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember what number it was. And uh, in that episode, I was still pretty early in my journey to try to figure out what type of diabetes I have. <laughs> and I talked a little bit about the study I was in to try to help figure that out, which ultimately, after a boatload of tests and a day spent in a clinical trial wing of a hospital, um, they still don't know exactly what I am. My, my pancreas acts like it's a type 1, but I don't show insulin resistance or some of the other typical hallmarks of type 2. Right. I have a question. 
if you have an answer for it, I'm interested. Is there any, like you've heard your episode. So why did I call it what I called it? Um, that's a good question. Um, we talked a little bit about how with type two diabetes, it's a lot of driving people to an end. And sometimes, uh, there are outliers along the way that doctors don't know really what to do with. And I called your episode cattle drive. Okay. I wasn't sure. Like if you were going to say, I work on a steer farm. Or if, if it was going to be something else. And no, I don't... you'd been watching a lot of Yellowstone at that time, Scott. And so I think Cattle Drive was pretty high up there in your mental. Uh, I, you're probably onto something life. right there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, so you're back on the show more specifically to talk about being on Omnipod 5. So yeah. was... a while back, you had asked um, yeah. for people, especially like different people across the whole spectrum of folks that might be using the Omnipod to speak to their experience. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I was my endo's first patient on the Omnipod 5, and so I've been having a decent amount of success with it and just wanted to try to add my perspective. Cool. So a tiny bit of context then. So for three years as a type 1, how were you managing prior to Omnipod 5? Um, I was managing with injections for about six months to a year once I finally relented and agreed to go on what I call mealtime insulin or full-time insulin. Mm-hmm. I'd been using a long acting for a little while prior to that. So about six months with injections, but I knew once I started injections that I wanted to go to a pump as soon as possible. So I started the dash fairly quickly after starting insulin. And then I was on that for about a year before I could get my hands on a Omnipod 5. Okay. And I've had it since for about a year now, a little over. All right, great. So let's talk about when you transitioned from MDI to dash originally, that's probably like a weird time because you're just starting to use insulin more like traditionally, I guess. How long did it take you to find a rhythm pumping with dash? That happened pretty quick, but I also have to give you credit for that because I found the podcast about a month or so before I actually started my Omnipod. I think that just starting to listen to the podcast and some of the concepts about insulin and how it how it works and hey, it's okay for me to want to take charge of my own health with it and not necessarily rely on the endo to tell me every little thing I need to do. Mm-hmm. That made a huge difference in in my mindset, which I think then affected the way that it worked for me. So I went into insulin at about a nine A1C. Once I started insulin, I was down in the sevens. But after I started the dash and started listening to your podcast, I was down in the low sixes, and I haven't been above six in about 18 months. Wow, good for you. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Okay, so what made you go from Dash to Omnipod 5? Honestly, I wanted an algorithm. The idea, I was doing a lot of interventions with the Dash all the time, all day long. I had my nighttime basil fairly well tweaked down, but I was still waking up in the middle of the night multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day to either correct a high or fix a low. And during the day, I was doing a lot of extended basils, a lot of temp basils, just to try to keep my my numbers in the tight range that I was liking to keep them in. And so the idea that I could go to an algorithm that would kind of take a little bit of that burden off of me was definitely appealing. I didn't really consider tubed pumps very well, and probably just because being diagnosed as an adult, it's hard enough to 
conceptualize having a another device stuck to you. And mm-hmm. especially at that time, I don't know that I'd be that worried about it now, but the idea of having two being connected when I'm a klutz, I run into things <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I could just imagine the number of times I'd pull the tubing out or the dogs would grab it or whatever. I really looked at the Omnipod 5 and I thought about looping, but I haven't been brave enough to to go down that road yet. The Dexcom G7 is sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast, and it features a lightning fast 30 minute warm up time. That's right. From the time you put on the Dexcom G7 till the time you're getting readings, 30 minutes. That's pretty great. It also has a 12 hour grace period, so you can swap your sensor when it's convenient for you. All of that on top of it being small, accurate, incredibly wearable and light. These things, in my opinion, make the Dexcom G7 a no-brainer. The Dexcom G7 comes with way more than just this. Up to 10 people can follow you. You can use it with type 1, type 2, or gestational diabetes. It's covered by all sorts of insurances. And, uh, this might be the best part. It might be the best part. Alerts and alarms that are customizable so that you can be alerted at the levels that make sense to you. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Dexcom and all the sponsors. When you use my links, you're supporting the production of the podcast and helping to keep it free and plentiful. So you are having success without an algorithm, but it's causing you to be involved more than you want to be involved. Yeah, Yeah. I constantly had the controller in my hand. I did a lot of numbers watching too, right? Because with... You can only set your alarms so many times, right? You Mm -hmm. can't set a, hey, pay attention here alarm versus a, hey, the world is ending alarm. And so, you know, I'd I'd do a lot of watching to try to keep it from getting to the point where the alarms would go off. It was a lot mentally. And that definitely is one of the biggest things that's benefited me going to the five. I sleep at night now regularly. That's nice. Yeah, I still have nights where something didn't go quite as planned but if you're making like if you're bumping and nudging basically before the algorithm is that mostly with like corrections with food like where is your intervention needed both um it would be like okay i've been a little more active than i expected and so i'm drifting lower than i want and maybe i'm getting ready to get in the car and i don't want to have to deal with it dropping below 70s so i would if i was watching my numbers and Maybe I was a slow drift and maybe I was getting ready to get in the car and drive and I didn't want to have to worry about what would happen if I dropped below 70 while I was trying to drive. A lot of that kind of thing. Honestly, I think it was a lot more using temp basils Mm -hmm. up to catch a rise and then maybe not cutting it off quickly enough and then I would drift low later and have to correct it. You had a basal rate set up that worked-ish, but maybe wasn't strong enough. And so then you would come by, push back on it, cause a low later, eat food, drift up. Like, were you kind of caught in that loop a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was also using a higher basal to offset meals without realizing that that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Because now that I've been on the five, my basal rate is a lot lower. Is a lot lower. So then my question is, how did that work when you started Omnipod 5? Like, were your settings so messed up because you were intervening that it didn't allow the algorithm to work well when it started? Or how did the transition go into the algorithm? It actually went pretty smooth because I had listened to 
all the things I could listen to. Your podcast about the five came out after I started, mm -hmm. but I had tried to do as much research as I could. And I knew that it was starting with a 50-50 assumption. Yeah. And so I did a lot of research into gluco to see, okay, what am I, what kind of insulin am I really using at this stage? How much insulin am I using here? What's my usual bolus to basal ratio? And I calculated up my total daily and created a uh, program for my basal that was pretty close to what my dash would use, but it was more in line with what half of my total daily would be. And then once I got on the five, if I started drifting up, I would go ahead and correct pretty quickly. And that, I think, helped the algorithm learn how much total insulin I was truly using a day rather than just what I told it I was using. Okay. So, you know, it's funny, Arden used Omnipod Fire for a while. Those episodes came out before she started to. <laughs> and I, I, I thought the same thing. Like, I was like, oh, I wish I would have made these episodes before she started trying to use this uh, because there's so much information in them that leads to a good transition. But okay, so now you're using it and it's good. Like, so I, I just want to say for people, like contextually, you kind of said like the 50-50 assumption. When you're setting up Omnipod 5 specifically, they want the algorithm to have some autonomy, I guess, like, like, you know, like it, and they wanted to have like the autonomy is the wrong word. Like they wanted to have the, the flexibility to make decisions. If you were in a situation where let's say your basal should have been a unit an hour, but you were for some reason had it at half a unit an hour, but were constantly making adjustments and adding insulin somewhere else. And then you go back and tell the algorithm, my basal is definitely 0.5 an hour. Well, then it's going to be way off of what you need. And so the assumption is that a lot of people probably just don't really know why their settings work, but that their total daily insulin is probably pretty accurate. So start with total daily insulin, give half of it to the, uh, to the basal, give half of it to the bolus during the setup process, and that gives the algorithm a chance at making good decisions. So it's so based on total daily insulin, really. Those episodes are terrific. I should put the names of them in here somewhere. Maybe I'll, I'll put them at the end. Yeah. You know, so for when people are starting, it, it really does help. I also found a lot of people who did the same thing started before they had the information and went back and reset the algorithm and started over again and got a lot of luck out of it that way the second time because the settings are really the whole thing. I've recently received a new controller from them be because of that whole situation. And uh, I haven't set it up yet because I'm a chicken. <laughs> but I think, I mean, knowing now what I know that I didn't know then, um, I expect it to go pretty smooth. It's just been a little hectic and I haven't done it yet. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Uh, so I want to know about actual day-to-day -day use of it. I want to know how you handle meals, how you handle high blood sugars, like the whole thing. So can you tell me, like, maybe take me through a day. You get up in the morning. Is your blood sugar where you expect it to be when you wake up, for example? I would say probably 75% of the time, my blood sugar is in a range that I'm comfortable with, which I try to keep my numbers between 70 and 150. Mm -hmm. I don't freak out usually at a 65, um, but if it gets much lower than that, especially if it's a trend down, I'll, I'll take care of it. I do intermittent fasting, and so I usually don't eat breakfast, and I rely on my basal to hold me steady throughout the morning. And it does a, a pretty good job. I'm usually around 100 to 110. 
The exception is sometimes I I seem to have a fairly strong dawn phenomenon, and I think lately the algorithm's been struggling a little bit to manage that the way I would like. Uh, so I might be waking up at like 1.30 instead of 100. So I've just been correcting in the morning to to try to address that. And it usually drifts back down then about where I want it. Yeah. But I will find that regardless of then the activity that I do in the morning, which might be going into the office, it might be chasing dogs, it might be what you know, going for a walk, whatever, it does a pretty good job of keeping me pretty steady between 90 and, and 110. Good. That's amazing. Uh, what about overnight? Like, so is it like you go to bed at a stability and it stays there? Do you like what, what's your, what do you see when you look back over the evenings? It probably doesn't drift more than 10 or 15 points during the night, unless I've done something crazy, like have pizza late at night before we go to bed or, um, some sort of food that's going to have a really long impact, like sushi or, or something like that. It seems that sometimes the algorithm doesn't handle the rises for that as aggressively as I would like, mm -hmm. but it still handles it. It's just, I don't like looking at a number above, you know, 150. And so yeah. I'm a little impatient to get it to come back down. So do you, do you intervene when you see that? Yes, usually. Okay. Um, but what I have learned is that for me, I will tell the pod that, hey, I want a correction and I'll use the CGM button to see what it's recommending I have. I have learned not to override that and give myself more, even though my head will tell me, oh, no, you need way more than that. Mm -hmm. Because what I found is that, that those will be the times that I end up going low later. And the one thing for me, I don't know if this is true for everybody else, but for me, I found that my lows are much less frequent, but sometimes it seemed like they take a lot more carbs to bring back up than what they did before. When they do happen. Yeah. Not necessarily when you overcorrect, though. Correct. Okay. If, if I don't overcorrect, then I don't end up having that low later. But if a low comes without correction, they're harder to bring back up? Correct. Huh. Is there any correlation between that and what you've eaten before, do you think? Could be. Could be. It could also be that perhaps I was a little more aggressive with mm -hmm. my meal rise than than what I had, or maybe I overestimated my carbs. And so then later, if I drop low, then instead of needing one glucose tab, one glucose tab, maybe I need three. Okay. That kind of thing. And that's still not crazy. Like, it's not an insane no. amount of carbs, right? No, I, I'm not eating the kitchen. I'm not uh, going nuts with juice boxes. Mm -hmm. um, usually, 15 grams will more than take care of it. Okay, I got you. What, what's your eating style like? I try to stick to a diet heavy in fruits and vegetables, lean protein, but I like carbs. And I firmly believe that if you're out celebrating with family for something, that you should feel free to have a, a bite of a celebratory food if, if that's what you want to have. That being said, I find myself choosing lower carb options a lot of times just simply because I don't feel like fighting with blood sugars later. I know how to dose for just about everything, but sometimes I know that it's going to be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I just don't feel like putting in that work. Yeah. So the food itself isn't worth it. 
I often have a, a big salad for lunch with probably chickpeas for, for protein. For dinner, I do a lot of, you know, some sort of protein and then a veggie and a side. I do have kids that are still at home. Uh, I do have a full-time job, so some days are crazy. And if we all end up having to eat out, I want to be able to eat out without worrying myself sick about what my choices are. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense to me. So what do you think your total carbs a day are? It's usually under 150, usually somewhere between 100 and 125. Gotcha. Some days might be more than that. Yeah. Some days are less than that. But but that's not a low-carb lifestyle. It's just, no. it sounds like a... I mean, honestly, it just sounds like you're making very targeted choices about your food. Yeah, I try to avoid um, processed carbs, you know, the the white bread and the mm-hmm. flours and stuff like that. But like if my stomach's upset, rice is my comfort food. So that was one of the things that I forced myself to learn to dose for, because if I don't feel good, I, I want to have something like that. Yeah. And it's easier for my tummy to digest. And so... It works for me. Nice. That's excellent. I'm just trying to figure out like where the lows come from when you have them. Do you think they're activity? Yeah, sometimes. I think what I've noticed is that sometimes my sensitivity seems like it changes. And so things that I would do and dose accordingly um, and not have any trouble with, maybe another day I do the exact same thing the exact same way, but my result is a little different. Hmm. And I know that it's probably due to different time of day or changing sensitivity or something like that are hormones still an issue for you yes so that could be part of it too um melissa i had foot or excuse me i'm looking at one thing and saying another literally sorry (laughs) natalie i had a um i had a foot surgery recently i need to put my foot up so hold on a second oh go right ahead so i'm gonna make some noise this has now happened on two episodes i I'm all full of myself. Like, it'll happen. I'll be fine. And then, like, about a half an hour into it, I'm like, I, I got to get my foot up. <laughs> got to put my foot up. Yeah, it starts to throb or really hurt. What had happened was, what had, what had happened was, um, they told me, the doctor, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to make, like, this, like, pinhole incision. I was like, okay. Then he gets in there and decides he's got to cut it open. Oh. And... You know, for the first number of days, like, I don't really know what that meant because it's all covered. And they're like, don't uncover it. Like, I like how they say, like, yeah. don't take this dressing yeah, off for two weeks. It. Don't take the dressing and off. And I'm like, this dressing's going to last 48 hours and I'm going to have to cover it back up myself. So when I finally opened it up, the incision's like four inches long. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. I'm like, oh, that's where all the pain's coming from. <laughs> I was like, it really hurts. <laughs> but, um, I kept thinking, like, it's whatever he had done inside of the foot right but that's not where the discomfort's coming from it's the healing from the like frankenstein incision you put on my foot so this to take your bone chip out well it turned out to be more than that so yeah like so they the guy tells me you know he gives me my inspection i i guess they call that an appointment and um he uh he's like oh that's going to be a bone spur and um arthritis we'll clean out the arthritis i'll take off the bone spur i'm like great and then later he's like, yeah, it was cartilage. It was torn. Really wasn't that much arthritis. And I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, he's like, I did take off the growth. The growth. Like he called it a bone spur before, which made me feel old. Then he called it a growth. And I was like, geez, what the <laughs> Wait hell? Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Can we just stick with the same words, please? And and he's like, yeah, it's going to, he's like, I had to do microfracture surgery on your toe. 
And I'm like, what do you see? I made a bunch of little holes in the bone to try to get cartilage to regrow. And I go, wait a minute, like cartilage can regrow. And he goes, well, no. And I'm like, well, what then? <laughs> and he goes, it's more like fibrous cartilage. And I'm like, right. He goes, so it's not really cartilage, but like, hopefully it'll support the toe. And, uh, and he kind of like winds up and I'm like, hopefully. And he goes, oh. yeah. And I was like, I'm like, what, what are you not telling me? He goes, ah, oh, well, you know, if this is still a problem in a couple of months. We might have to talk about fusing the bone in your toe. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't think that's a good oh, idea. No. Yeah, I was like, no, please. Uh, so now I find myself like hoping that fibrous cartilage grows in my toe. Anyway, that's where I'm at. Uh, but I got my foot up. So now I'm okay. Oh, again. Now I'm in a, an incredibly awkward position with a microphone in my face. Uh, <laughs> but at least my foot's not throbbing. Okay. So, well, so, I mean, what you hear people most say about algorithms in general, you've already said, which is, man, it gives you your sleep back. Like that, mm-hmm. that really is something. So can you talk about that for a little bit? Like what the impact that's been on your life of just sleeping through the night? To be honest, I think sleep and the lack of sleep is something that you don't notice how much it's affecting you until you actually sleep at night. I know mm-hmm. when I worked night shift and I had broken sleep all the time, I felt like garbage all the time. And I didn't realize until after I started sleeping at night that, oh my gosh, this is what sleep feels like. This is what it feels like to wake up refreshed. And I, I kind of feel that way with the with the Omnipod 5 too, is that I didn't realize how much I was getting up in the middle of the night on a regular basis until I wasn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just, for me, it it affects every part of me. I'm not so impatient. I'm in a better mood. I'm able to get more done in the mornings just because I've actually slept during the night instead yeah. of being wake, woken up every, you know, two to four hours. It's such a slow drain on you when it yeah. happens. The, the diminishment happens so slowly that once you're there, you don't know you're there. And definitely. Yeah. And it's, it really does suck because you, you are having a significantly less desirable life, honestly, and, and, uh, interactions with people. And it's, you know, it just, it really, it, it screws you up. Now, like you said, you get it back. You're like, Oh my God, I remember feeling like this. I didn't know I didn't feel like this anymore. You know? Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's amazing. Um, how often you said once in a while at night, but how often do you think you have to wake up and give yourself something? Probably less than once every two weeks. I was going to say like twice a month, maybe. Yeah, maybe then, once a month, yeah. maybe once or twice a month, depending on what's going on. And like I said, if if it's been a really active day or if I've had a, a lot of activity during the day and didn't really realize it, then sometimes that night, because again, I'm a little more sensitive than, than what I planned, I might drift a little low. But mm-hmm. I go back in the morning and I look at my my numbers and you'll see where the where it was taking insulin away from me during the night so that I didn't get too low. Mm. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating when you look to see like, wow, if this thing wasn't working and didn't take my basal away for an hour here and an hour there, I would have had whatever, like what's your basal rate right now. It's about a, between a half unit an hour and about um, 0.8 units an hour. The, the idea that like to like, one to two extra units would have been in you through basal. And then you definitely would have had a low. 
and you would have been feeding that insulin, those two units of insulin. You wouldn't have known why. But the algorithm's just like, no, no, just take it away. And then you don't get that extra. And even when you're drifting low, when you're drifting low and the algorithm's been trying to stop you, unless you've made some horrible mistake in the past, even the low is not as like frightening because it it happens slower. It's not falling. Um, it's really it's it's yeah. just changes. I would definitely so agree with that. Yeah, there, yeah. There's very few times where I see an, a straight arrow down or double arrows are even more rare. Mm-hmm. And it it so it usually catches the drift and then I just need a little bit to bump it back up. Yeah. It's in those cases where I've it's usually me screwing something up where I've been too aggressive or bolused and then forgot to eat mm-hmm. or you know something like that that do you a little more aggressive couple of questions you have a couple of questions around food do you have to pre-bolus still i do well the have to is a uh the other day i didn't i was eating mcdonald's and i didn't pre-bolus that and i don't think i ended up going over 150 so wow that's great yeah, there, there was that but generally, I find that a 15-minute pre-bolus to a 30-minute, which is actually shorter than what I used to do MDI. Really? it That seems to work pretty well. With MDI, I, I saw that it would usually have to be 30 minutes to really well, you were also under Well, you were under basil too, right? Yeah. So, you know, that makes sense as well. Because now that, that bolus has to go in, it has to overwhelm a lot just to get you moving. And then you've got to... Yeah. Then you have to start falling so that when the food goes in, you don't see a crazy spike in the other direction. Yeah. 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 I, I try, I've, I've tried so many different ways to explain that the podcast over the years, but the best way I think I've found is to just imagine if your basil should be a unit an hour and instead it's 0.8. Like, and that seems like, well, it's not that big of a difference, but over 24 hours, it's 0.2 an hour. You're deficient. Right. So 0.2.2.2.2. All of a sudden, four hours have gone by and four or five hours have gone by. You're down a unit. So 5, 10, 15, 20, you're almost five units deficient a day of basil if you're a if you're a point eight basil when you should be a one. And that's that's a significant amount. Then you come along and have a meal and you think the meal is only two units or three units, but you're also deficient the basil all day as well. You start throwing in insulin. It starts making up for the basil, but doesn't impact the food. You spike up and you're like, I don't know what happened. I counted the carbs. I did the thing. And it's everything's settings. Like, like the algorithms are making it more obvious now to people, but I've been screaming about it forever. Like if your settings are wrong, like just nothing's going to work right. And basil has to be right. And people never pay attention to basil. So that's, I think that's the simplicity of why some people have issues. You know, you're, you know. I was going to say on that point, I firmly agree with you there. Um, to that point, I will occasionally run in manual for 24 hours just so that I can be sure that my basal settings are still spot on. Yeah. Because I always worry, you know, what what if something were to happen? I need to know how much I really need, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So I'll do that occasionally. Yeah, well, especially and- if something's changed, right? Like you come in with a one basal into the algorithm. And over time, months and months go by and your needs change. Like, let's say you gained weight or you, what if you had hypothyroidism and your medication was off and you're, you know, you were a little more hypo than you usually are. That could even impact your insulin needs, like little stuff like these, right? So anything so like that. Explain that. So, because I also am a little hypothyroid. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that 
what you'll hear most people say is that when their TSH is high, they might end up using more insulin. And so the lower and uh, more normal that you can get your TSH, you might end up using less insulin or, or your sensitivity might be a little better. Well, that's something I also have to thank you in the podcast for. I doubt that I would have been as aggressive with my thyroid, uh, with my endo, had I not had all of the the thyroid episodes to listen to. Mine was one of those that's considered in range, mm-hmm. but the symptoms I was having were definitely not fun stuff to to work with. My hair was falling out. My skin was dry. It was cold wow. all the time. So I convinced my endo probably about six months ago now to start me on some medication and it's helped a lot. My numbers have come down and uh, I just had my visit yesterday actually. And we're going to up the dose just a little bit because Good. again, my numbers are still in range, but I'm starting to see some of those symptoms come back. And so since you we're going to try it out. Since you just went yesterday, tell people, what was your TSH? When I started treatment, my TSH was 2.8. Okay. And then after starting the medication, it got down to 1.02, I okay. think. And then it had come back up to 1.8. So 1.8 is still below two. It's still well below four. Um, but You're when I explained the types of symptoms that I was starting to see, she's like, no, let's try it. Good. Well, that's so. great. Good for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, uh, I can say it, I should probably just print it on my forehead, but you don't treat the number, you treat your symptoms. Yeah. And that's, that's how you handle that. Uh, and but, I was just so glad to find an endo that was willing to, to work with me on that because some of them are very much insistent on the numbers. Oh, oh, please. There are people walking around right now with three and a half TSHs and they're, and they have every hypothyroid symptom in the world. The doctor's like, you're fine. And that's it. It must be something else. Go for a walk, get some air, like, you know, like stupid. And they should just use the medication to bring the number down to where the symptoms disappear at. It's just, oh, it's so simple. Natalie, it's such a struggle being this smart. Do you understand? Yeah, I know. And here I am adding to your struggles by thanking you. So there we go. Yes. Yeah. It's just making me feel terrible for being so smart. I mean, it's, I, I'm joking, of course, because it's such common sense. And yet you watch people just ignore it constantly. And the idea of it was in range so freezes some people. Like I've had private conversations. I spoke with a woman who was in the hospital once. And I'm like, you're describing a high TSH and hypothyroidism. And she's like, well, the doctor said it's in range. I'm like, but you just listed all your symptoms. They're all hypothyroid symptoms. Like, what would it hurt to try the medication? And she was resistant. She's like, no, 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 it's in range. Like in range was like a speed bump for her that was like 10 miles high. She couldn't get over. And then finally, you know, it goes six months goes by and an email comes. Oh, I finally did that thing. I feel so much better. Like, yeah, I mean. Okay. I could have told you that. Yeah, That's I good. mean, not only could I have told you that, I was telling you that. <laughs> and it just and you ignored it. It's just and then and then it'll happen to their kid and they'll go and they'll start the whole process over again. Instead of just assuming like what I learned the first time, you know, I, maybe I should put into practice here. It, it it starts over again. Well, they're having symptoms, but their baba is high. And I'm like, oh my God, we're gonna do it again. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, I'm glad, you know, so anyway, with all these variables that are possible, see if I can find my original thought, mm-hmm. imagine you go on the algorithm and you're, you're rolling along, but then something's changed. You've gained weight. You've become less active. Maybe you had a job where you used to walk a lot. Now you don't walk anymore. That is not a thing you would think about. 
right? And so if you weren't on an algorithm and you stopped all the walking, you might start seeing higher blood sugars and you might start giving yourself more insulin. Well, the algorithm just sees the higher blood sugars and starts to give you more insulin. But to your point, you don't even know that's happening really because you're just no, living, not, you know what I mean? You're just you living your life. If you don't look for it, right. you're, you're not going to know. Right. And so then if you have to go back to manual for some reason, or, you know, I don't know what happens, your shipment doesn't come or you're suddenly MDI and you're over here with your one unit of basil, because I know this was what it was like before and everything's still working and you forget to factor in those other variables, then all of a sudden you're not going to have enough insulin. And by the way, the other way too, what if you got a more active job and now yeah. the algorithm's giving you less insulin? And you flip over to manual and all of a sudden you're getting low and you go, I don't understand. Like, it, like it's, it's that kind of stuff that I like. Uh, what I'm saying is I like that you go into manual once in a while ch and test your settings basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like when I was having trouble with the dawn phenomenon and, and rising every morning, the first thing I did was I went manual so that I could adjust it and see how much I really need to to come into the the number that I like. I like to float around 80 at night if I can. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so once I did that, then I let the algorithm try. It still wasn't catching it. So I went back and adjusted my insulin sensitivity during the early morning hours so that it would give me more insulin during those early morning hours and that seemed to really help. And so I might be at the point where I might need to make a little tweak there if I still continue to see that morning rise that's a little higher than I want. Right. Oh, I love it. Well, you just said something that made me think of something. And then I looked at myself and thought, I can't believe my foot's in front of me while I'm talking. And then I lost my train of thought. Um, okay. I can't see your foot. So nobody needs to know. <laughs> You're not distracted by it, but I'm staring at it. <laughs> it's out in front of me. Oh my God. What were you just saying? Oh, hell, I'll get back to it. Um, oh, I'll go to my other question until I can get back to it. What do you do for fat or protein rises? I really don't. Um, and I think that's uh, two factors. Number one, it's probably a factor of the algorithm. I think it it catches it. Number two, I, I don't usually have low-carb meals that are high in fat and protein. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes people see the protein rise a lot more if they're lower carb. But if, if I've got a, a rise happening that's outside of what I would expect, or it seems like it's lasting longer than the food should be sticking around, I'll go ahead and just do a correction then. But typically I will stick with what the algorithm is recommending. Unless I feel like I know something that the algorithm doesn't. Like, okay, I've been snacking on something and the algorithm doesn't know that. And so I'll do a more aggressive correction. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. And but you ever have like a French fry situation where you have like a burger and fries and you get like that ninety minute later rise? Um, sometimes what I'll do with those is I will bolus for the carbs that I'm pretty sure I'm having. And oh, I also usually don't bolus more than five units at a time. So whatever my carb ratio is that gets me to five units, if it's going to take me over five units, I'll break it up. So I'll do a partial bolus and then thirty minutes later I'll do another bolus because. For me, my body tends to reject big boluses. Insulin, yeah, it doesn't like big boluses, no matter where I put the pod. And so, I'll just break it up like that. And so, if I'm having something like French fries or something like sushi that I know is going to stick around, I'll set a timer on my phone for either thirty minutes or an hour, depending on the kind of food. And then I will just do another bolus of a part, like usually like 
I don't know, 50% or 20% of whatever it was that I ate Mm -hmm. so that that controls that later rise that's going to happen. Okay. Okay, good. I like that. And do you, do you think you were seeing tunneling? Do you know what that is when I say that? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what was happening. It just seemed like there was too much insulin going on that my body could absorb at one time. And so then it would just like sneak up back out the hole and leak around (laughs) the, the edge of the cannula there. Yeah. Once I stopped trying to do bigger boluses and then also I, if, if I put it on my thighs, it seems like the pod gets bumped more there. And so I will usually go ahead and put an over patch that has a strap on it mm-hmm. over the the pod to keep it from Wiggling. rocking back and forth. Yeah. Kind of bringing that cannula out a little bit. I think that's yeah. just for, do you think it's getting bumped or do you think it's just from walking? Um, <laughs> for me, it's probably a bit of both. Oh yeah, you do like, like I the said, run of the I, things. I tend yeah, yeah. to <laughs> bump into things. My dogs will hit it. I don't seem to gauge the wideness of doors very well. And so I, uh, when I first got my Dexcom, I was constantly ripping them off on door frames. You know, I find us talking about this sometimes. Hold on a second. About, I think it's an actual thing. Hold on. Like I spatial walk, awareness? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I walk into door frames. Hold on a second. People seem to think that's an ADHD thing. Um, you might not be wrong. My son was recently diagnosed with ADHD, and we've actually had to fight for a long time to get him diagnosed for a variety of reasons. But as I learned more about it and researched more about it, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm an undiagnosed adult with ADHD, but I've been able to find coping mechanisms to deal with it. I'm, you know, I work in a professional job. I You're getting by? <laughs> I'm getting by. Uh, <laughs> like I'm 51. But, I'm almost but, finished. <laughs> Exactly. No, I just, I don't know the point of being diagnosed at this point if if I've made it this far, but yeah, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah. The only other thing, there could be like a visual problem, but I mean, I think it's called vertical. Oh God. Hold on a second. I'll find it. Uh, Vertical heterophorio. I don't know. I'm just saying that the bumping into a door frame is actually could be a sign of other things. I also used to be what I called a close walker. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I stopped myself from doing it, which I've said on the podcast before. Like I used to turn corners and like catch the edges of walls and things yeah. like that. And then one day I said to myself, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to like purposefully not do that. And I stopped doing it. So I, it's not ADHD because I was able to like. Make yourself stop. Yeah, make myself stop um, doing it. Right. Yeah, I think uh, for me, once I got used to wearing either the Dexcom or the the pod, that part of it's gotten a lot better, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still a klutz. I still bump into stuff. That's right. I just wanted to bring it up because it comes up. It's like that um, that rapid eye, move it, uh, rapid eye movement desensitization like thing that people do with therapists. The amount yeah. of times that comes up on the podcast is fascinating. So, Interesting. yeah, it's just, and the bumping into things thing. So I like <laughs> to like shout it out for a second. Just to, just because like right now someone's like, oh God, I probably do have ADHD and I walk into things all the time. Like, I just, I don't know. It amuses me to think someone's in their car right now thinking that, <laughs> that this is where they figured that out at. But anyway. Yeah. Cause you know, it makes so much sense to get so much medical advice from a dude you listen to on a podcast. Yeah. Natalie, none of this is medical advice. I just want to say that right now. So. <laughs> but yeah, that used to really floor me that 
I was learning so much from the podcast, but tell me about it. I think it's what, what, like when you were first, cause I, it makes sense to me, but tell me about the feeling. Well, you know, you always hear, you always know, not always hear, but that the whole thing about, you know, you can't trust everything you see on the internet or you can't trust all that you read on the internet and, oh, you're going to let Dr. Google diagnose you and this kind of thing. And so then I start listening to a podcast that's put on by a gentleman that doesn't have diabetes and isn't a doctor, but yet through his life experience and through the things that he's he's learned, uh, the things he's saying make sense. And then, you know, you brought Jenny on too, and she was agreeing with the things you were saying. And it was just such a different way of thinking about things than what had been presented to me through the medical community. Yeah. I like devoured your podcast when I first started listening to it to the point where my kids were teasing me. Mom, are you listening to your doctor podcast again? Yes. Yes, I am. Thanks. <laughs> well, I get teased too. So, you know, <laughs> like when, when one of you says that you like the podcast, you listen to it. My, I, I get it from my wife or my kids or stuff <laughs> like that all the time. And, and I agree. Listen, as, as crazy as it might sound for me to be saying it, I agree with you. I don't think you should be listening to me either. <laughs> percent right i don't know how we ended up here right? yeah it, it just is um you know when i speak in public i'll stand up in front of a, a crowd of people and sometimes they're big crowds you know hundreds of people and i'm like look i'm going to talk about diabetes in a way that's probably going to sound almost foreign to you and it's going to some of it's going to be shocking and uh, you know if you really if you already know about it or you've listened to the podcast it's not shocking at all but to hear somebody say i want you to consider pre-bolusing your meals or don't stare and look at a, a high blood sugar for three hours because it's not stacking if you need it. Like those things, when you're told that by doctors, when you hear them somewhere else, you think, God, oh, that's crazy. Like, I can't mm -hmm. do that. And then, I mean, I do take your point. Like it's a, I mean, it's the strangest thing. It's like, you're taking like, it's like somebody's telling you how to change a tire and they've never driven a car. I don't have diabetes. Like, so I don't really like, I don't know what it's like to live with it. I know what it's like to manage it. And I know what it's like to care about somebody who has it. But still, like you said something earlier in the episode that really like struck me. You said, when my stomach's upset, I like to have rice. So rice is something I had to force myself to learn how to bolus for. And when you said that, that makes me feel like, like, oh my God, there are things people won't put in their mouths because they're scared of the bolus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that and that's prevalent for people. And that's a thing I don't know firsthand. I know that from listening to you guys and talking to you. You know. And sometimes it's because it's not worth it and sometimes it's because oh my gosh, I would have to have x amount of insulin to to have this food and that's so much more than what I normally take and I'm afraid of taking that much. Mm -hmm. For me it was more figuring out the strategy of making sure that it doesn't continue to hit me for, you know, four or five hours after I eat it. But I'm, I don't know, I'm pretty flexible in my eating style. I don't think I've weighed a food my entire life, even after having diabetes. Yeah. I definitely estimate carbs a lot more than I scientifically calculate them. I know I would not have the control that I have if I hadn't been learning from the podcast oh. and the people on your podcast. That's excellent. I, I'm very happy to hear that. And it's kind of you to say. So I appreciate it very much. Oh, oh, 
I'm, ooh, what? I went to the endo yesterday. No, you want to hear what she said? I mean, I, I thought we were going to do a monkey impression. Is that what that was? I was like, I don't have a monkey impression, but okay. Yeah, yeah, I do. You were like, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I'm so excited. You went to the end of it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you went to the end so of it. My, a, my A1C is 5.4. And that might be the lowest I've ever had. And then she also, after going through all my data and looking at the things and asking me about the lows, uh, she's like, Natalie, I wouldn't change a thing. You're doing great. You look like you're really on top of it. And you know, like, you looks like you know what you're doing. <laughs> and I wanted to laugh at that part. <laughs> But I said, thank you. <laughs> Why did you want to laugh at that part? Because you never feel like you really know what you're doing, right? Especially if, like, this week I went to the state fair and my Dexcom decided to uh, take a break when <laughs> I got to the state fair. Luckily, I had a, a meter with me, and so I just had to do finger sticks throughout the day. But, mm-hmm. oh, am I going to know what to do in this situation? What about this situation? Uh, that kind of thing. You went to the state fair without an extra Dexcom? I did. Yeah, that's because you're an adult. Arden just went out, uh, like, right as right as you and I were getting on, Arden left to go out with someone. And I was like, hey, you're going kind of far from home. Are you taking stuff with you? And she goes, no, I checked my pod. It has plenty of insulin. I was like, what about just extra stuff in case? She goes, no. And I'm like, okay. And by the way, nine times out of ten, it's going to be fine. And yeah. but, but the one time you're at the state fair, you're like, uh. I should probably keep one of those sensors with me. <laughs> you, know, like, yeah. you know, and it's so, well, and I I thought about going home to get one. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, it's a two hour warm up anyway. Mm. And I'm an hour from home and I would have to drive back up here to pick up my kid later. So I've what got my meter. I've got my strips. We're just going to go in manual on the pump. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll just finger stick. And I ate food that i wanted to eat i had an ear of corn and i had uh (laughs) i shared some beignets with my daughter nice and it was a great day i would have done it listen in that scenario i would have done exactly the same thing in my mind i think like i'm thinking ahead all the time so i to me i think okay well the cgm takes a crap at a bad time i'd swap it now do exactly what you did but at least two hours from now i'd be back again like that's how i think about it like then we're back and but also you didn't do anything wrong i'm just saying if you were if you were a kid if if your kid had diabetes and you were me i bet you would have had stuff with you when you went to the fair probably would have had a spare dexcom yeah yeah and typically like if i'm going somewhere around home uh i don't carry extra dexcoms usually i will carry extra pods extra insulin and a pen Mm -hmm. and usually a meter but I usually don't necessarily carry extra Dexcoms. Now, if I'm traveling or going far away from home, then I pack like I'm going to be gone for three months, even if it's only a week. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, there's been times that I've needed the extra supplies. And then there's a lot of times that I bring everything home. But to your point, it's the one time that you don't have it that you really need it that you prepare for. I'll tell you, too, in fairness, CGMs are one of those things like they either go on time or they or they go and you can usually see them going. It's not usually a thing that just happens. It's it's almost like, you know what I mean, you get choppy data from it or something like that happens, you start having connection issues or something like that. You can kind of see it coming usually. I should, I should post the picture of when it happened on the website. I think okay, so I know that spray sunscreen affects the pods. Mhm. 
does it also affect the Dexcom? Because it was within five minutes of me putting sunscreen on that the Dexcom decided to take a break. The only thing I know about spray sunscreen is that if you get it on an Omnipod, it could crack the shell of the Omnipod. Right. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it, it doesn't make I've never sense. heard of anybody having trouble with the Dexcom, but yeah. it was just so coincidental that <laughs> within just a couple of minutes, it decided it was not happy with yeah, me. Yeah, I think that's just Murphy's Law. I think that's really what that is. Because it, it normally I last 10 days, usually. Um, yeah. And this one was only on day like four. Oh, oh, yeah. Something was definitely off. I, you know, that's actually difficult for me when people try to talk about uh, Dexcom not lasting for them. It yeah. lasts so consistently for Arden. Like, and it's just dumb. Like, it's just good luck, you know, but 10 days. And now the G7 has a grace period. She goes into the grace period. No problem. Like, it's, she's always had really good success with Dexcom. So. I'm sure most yeah, people I've, do. I've loved it. Yeah. It's it's been so informative and it's really changed how I manage. Hmm. And I started using it when they thought I was still a type two. And so that was very helpful, especially once I started insulin. It's just been great. Cool. Uh, great, so great, great. I'm gonna ask you, do you have anything else about Omnipod five you want to say before I ask you my next question? No, I mean I think even though it's got a target of one ten, I mean, I'm able to as an adult have a A1C that's, I think, spot on an average of 110 or 106, something Mm -hmm. like that. And so don't let the target dissuade you from trying it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's terrific. It's terrific. And this is, this is it. Like in my mind, like these, this is the year of like algorithms. I can't wait to see what happens to them as we move forward. Like it's very, very exciting. All right. So my last question is before we started talking, well, that's not fair. Also, it's not accurate. Before we started recording, you were talking about the other episode that you did and that you wish it would have gone differently and like all this other stuff. So I wanted to like chat through that with you if you're comfortable chatting about that. Sure. Okay. I can do that. So go ahead. Tell me what you said first. So I just said that I I, I reminded you that I'd been on the, the show before and that I really wasn't very happy with my episode. I felt like I didn't sound like myself, that I really wasn't very engaging and that it could have gone a lot better if maybe I'd let you do more of the leading on the episode rather than having like a specific list of things that I really wanted to get across. And it it stemmed from the fact that I was so passionate and still am very passionate about helping all people with diabetes but especially those that have been misdiagnosed as type 2, or maybe they even do have type 2 and they're getting a lot of of shame or grief or not support from the medical community, that it it can get better. And there's there's things that can help. So your goal was to help people. So you came on and you had a list with you. Yes. And then I probably drug you around not letting you get to your list. Is that fair? I mean, yes, a little bit, but I think you, you did let me get to the list. But I think that if I had just let the conversation flow, flow a little bit more rather than having prepared, not really prepared, but I, you might be surprised at how much I, I practiced because <laughs> I really just really wanted it to go really well. You practiced? Oh, <laughs> so that's in lovely. the end, I wasn't super satisfied with how it went just because I didn't feel like very many people would... Wait, wait, wait. How, so for, how do you practice, how do you practice to be on a podcast? 
you, you practice your your list of topics and like what questions do you think the host might ask you and how would you answer that and Oh, yeah. that's nice. Thank you. Well, let me tell you something. Your episode has been up for less than a year and it has well over 20,000 downloads. Oh, wow. So it's doing good. And, and Thank you. Yeah. And if you're worried that it's not helping people still, it is downloaded on an average of 30 times a day. Oh my gosh. That's a, a long time after it initially came. Yeah. So. Well, in the, in the, Facebook group, I occasionally will see one of the, um, one of your helpers mm -hmm. reference my episode. Isabel's really great about it. Isabel and Nico both are really great about helping somebody that's, especially if they're type two or they don't know what they are, or if they've got something weird like I do where they don't have antibodies, yeah. they'll refer them to my episode, which I really appreciate because ultimately if it can lead to more people being in that study that I was in, we might get more answers for folks like me. So you had an expectation of how it was going to sound or how it was going to go or what you were going to say. And then you didn't hear that back. Is that right? I heard the words. I didn't hear the excitement or the tone or the flavor. So that Natalie, really you have a very with. specific way of speaking. You know that yeah. or not? You, you speak in a very specific way. Like, so you're like somebody from the Midwest. <laughs> you're not monotone, but. You don't vacillate very high or very low while you're talking, right? And so you're not you're not purposely engaging people with the sound of your voice. You're speaking. Okay. You have a lovely speaking voice. It's fine. You speak a little slowly, and that throws me off a little bit. So because, but not me personally, and not you specifically, when people speak slowly, there's a clock in my head. And I want there to be talking and I want there to be shifts in conversation. And that's me like producing the show while I'm making it. So I, I'll have to go back and listen to yours to find out if like you talking more slowly made me be more like made me try to like make up for that because that happens sometimes. You're probably onto something there because mm -hmm. I, I often have to speak in my job. And by nature, I speak very quickly, especially when I'm excited. And so I've had to have years of practice of slowing myself down, especially in situations where I might be nervous. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely nervous. So I very likely could have been speaking much Even more slowly. More than slowly. What... Well, and by the way, if, if Isabel is suggesting your episode to people, then it's good. Because oh, thank you. No, no, no. But you see, you're saying thank you, but I'm giving you an insight into Isabel that other people don't have. <laughs> so, like, if she didn't like the episode, she wouldn't share it with people. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good. Trust me. I'm always just amused. Like, I, I, so this is what I told you before we started recording, and this stays completely true. If I let people be involved in the process after they've recorded the episode, I don't think any of the episodes would get on the air because everybody has either an idea of what they're supposed to sound like or what they were supposed to say or what this was supposed to accomplish instead of just trusting that I know how to build the podcast so it helps people. And and they all have like this, I, a lot of people have an idea of how it should go. And if I gave them any editing power, then people wouldn't get the show. Like if I gave you your episode, it wouldn't exist because you'd be like, no, no, it's bad. I didn't do what I meant or blah, blah, blah. And right. but, but meanwhile, it's being given out by group experts in the Facebook group as something to listen to. So- Who's right? 
I mean, I'm right. So, you go ahead and say me. Oh, you, of yeah, course yeah, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you and Is- Isabel's right. Let's yeah. put it that way. Right. Right. Exactly. And so you're you're wrong about it. And so you are the worst judge of an episode about yourself. Like, so here's the question I usually ask people when they they get into your situation. Do you like the podcast? I love the podcast. Does it help you? Absolutely. Then you should trust me that I thought your episode would do the same for other people. And I will do that. Yeah. And see that long pause you made after I said that? I was thinking about it. While you're thinking about it, my brain is yelling, oh my God, talk, talk, Natalie, faster. Let's go. (laughs) Get on with it. You don't think that has anything to do with you being East Coast, do you? So I don't know because I've lived here my whole life. I couldn't judge that. What I can tell you is, is that from a listening standpoint, I am a fan of audio entertainment and I know what I don't like. Yeah. So I don't like pausing. I don't like, like, I don't mind if people think and every once in a while, like a long pause, I, I, I'll cry during some people's pauses because you can feel the emotion hitting them in the yeah. silence. But when yeah. people just have a slower way of speaking, I think it's, it, it doesn't engage the listener. And I want people to stay engaged because you said something 45 minutes into this that was really impactful, but I don't want people to get 10 minutes into it and be like, oh, she talks slow and then not make it to the 45. And by the way, people don't have that conscious feeling like, oh, she's speaking slowly. I'm not going to listen. It just, it hits you wrong. And so you need something to kind of pull you in. I don't know, like a tilt a whirl and just keep spinning you like so you're you're stuck to the outside wall and can't get away. And you're like, I have to stay here and and, and ride this ride. Yeah. And that's that's it. And it also it's it's an unfair thing to expect of people. So making the podcast has taught me to be more patient because there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not a hundred percent right for me. Mm-hmm. So I will tell you, I will never tell you what it is. But there is an episode of the podcast that went up this year. It was the first time it ever happened to me. I put up an episode and I didn't like it. I was like, this sucks. And I can't believe I'm doing this. It's so bad. I hated the way the person spoke. I hated the, I hated what they talked about. It just, it, it, I hated it. And my God, do people like that episode? I was like, son of a bitch. And like, I, I, I got emails about it. Like, oh, I love this episode with this person. I was like, that one? Are you fucking kidding me? And like, I, was like, I was like, oh my God, her voice is so annoying. No. And like, you know, like, but it just turned out what I learned from it is it wasn't for me. It didn't make it not for other people. And I have gotten good enough at this now that I was actually able to moderate the conversation even though I wasn't enjoying it, it was still a good conversation for somebody. And that was a big learning moment for me. Really, it really was. Honestly, like even talking to you today, if you would, if I would have spoken to you like two years ago, I would have talked over you a lot. Like, because I know what you're going to say in those pauses. And there's a part of me that's like, just say yes. Like, let's go. And I've learned to like, like, just wait. I'm getting better. The podcast is making me a better person. Honestly, if I'm being honest. So, anyway. well, I will say when I first started listening to you, I was like, "Will this guy just shut up and let the guest talk, please?" Nah, I know what <laughs> I know what needs to be said, Natalie. I don't need them. <laughs> but even that, like back then, I needed the thing to do a, a thing. Like I don't know if that makes sense or not. Like I know you think of it as your personal story, but the way I think of it is, 
it's a slice of life, a look at something from a certain perspective, and people want to hear it so they can draw from it what they need and move on. Like, nobody is, I'm sure there are a couple of episodes like this, but for the most part, people who listen to this show religiously don't know everything that happened in every episode, but they know what they took from it. And yeah. you know what I mean? And so that's the, to me, the important part. And, and I'm I, like, you know, I, I've slowed down over the years, right? Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, for sure. Because I'm like, I don't know. Also, keep in mind, there was like long stretches of time where my iron was really low and I was still making the podcast. So I don't even take responsibility for any of that. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> that was all done under different circumstances. Under, so. yeah, I was a completely different person. <laughs> Listen, I got, an, I got a review the other day where someone just didn't like that I talked, I spoke to somebody personally about like their personal life. And the person's like, this is supposed to be about diabetes. I'm like, well, first of all, it's supposed to be about whatever I think it's supposed to be about. That's why it's my podcast. You know, like, so, it, you know, if you want it to be about what you want it to be about, go make your own diabetes podcast. Good luck. It, you know, like, that's fine. That That's where the conversation took me. Like, am I always right? I'm not. Like, am I always exactly, like, do I speak exactly the way I should? I don't. But if I start measuring my words and practicing for the podcast, you guys aren't going to, you're going to hate it. It's going to suck. And that's part of the reason why I don't let people do it who come on. Because it seems, it seems like practice. Like imagine if you would have last time been like, oh, I remember practicing this part in the mirror. And then you did it again. It would sound, it would sound rehearsed, you know? So anyway, that's all. One of the the things that I love about the podcast is that you've got so many different elements, right? You've got the management episodes, management from all kinds of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. You've got the how we eat. You've got the defining diabetes, the bold beginnings, all of that. You've also branched into the type two stuff now to help folks on, on that part of their journey. But then you also have the personal stories. And I... I love listening to the personal stories in the beginning. The management side of it is what really brought me in because I needed it. But the the personal stories, I think help on a different level and they, they help you appreciate both where you are and they give you ideas of where you could go. Yeah. Some of them have been really, really inspirational. And, you know, we, I find myself crying along with them. Yeah. Trust me. I am too. That's the key to this whole thing, right? Like, you could get on here and read a list and say, here, do these things. And your A1C will be this. But no one's going to listen to it. They just aren't. Like, so you have to, like, I've told people privately, I've probably said it on here. I'm not scared to say it on here. I, I partly see my job as I'm tricking you into paying attention to something that's boring so that you can take better care of your health. And I'm doing that by giving you, like, conversations with people that are like the ones you just described. Yeah, you know, and you know, again, there's no shortage of entities, ADA, for example, who has all this information written down, and I defy you to know where it is or what it says, because just because you make good information available to people, doesn't mean they're going to find it. It doesn't mean that if they find it, they're going to absorb it. It doesn't mean that they're going to take the time to listen to it. You still see online. I mean, how often does someone come to me and say? I don't know what to do. And you'll hear me and I'll respond back or I'll, you know, the people who help me in the group will respond back and say, here, listen to the bold beginnings series. I don't have time for that. Can you just tell me what to do? I'm like, what? Like, I no. 
because that's not a valuable use. I can't tell each person individually what to do. Like, that's why I made this thing. Even if you could tell them what to do, there's a difference between somebody telling you what to do and you working through it on your own. There's part of the learning process in there too, Scott, that that people have to take responsibility for their own learning and their own care through it. Natalie, it's, are you trying to name the episode it out on your own? Are you trying to name the episode "Teach a Man to Fish"? Is that what you're trying to do? Hmm? Because that's that's what you're saying, and you're a hundred percent right, a million percent right. I can't I, if I come and do it for you, you won't be able to do it again the next time. Like, just yeah. listen to the stupid. I did it. I gave you all the listen. You, you mentioned Isabel earlier. She texted me this morning because she's doing something that's going to put a variable into her life. And she goes, hey, I'm doing this and this. Should I do this and this? Like as an example with my insulin. And I answered her back and she goes, yes, yes, I know that from the podcast. And I went, yeah, well, everything I know is in the podcast. Like I'm not going to I don't have like a magic extra thing. I didn't t- I didn't say out loud at this point. I've got and, a and, magic bag of secrets. Yeah, that yeah I no. Oh, not to here, share. Here's one I don't tell anybody. <laughs> right. Like so. That feeling that people are like, just tell it to me. Like, I understand it. I genuinely understand it. They're probably overwhelmed and scared and they just want it to be right. But the truth is, you have to live through this. You have to go through it. You have to learn. And the podcast will make it easier for you. But you still have to, I don't want to say do the work, but you have to experience the experiences. You have to react, watch it happen, watch it work or not work, learn from it, do it again. And and that's just, it's just, that's the truth of all this. Absolutely. There's no shortcut to it, but there is. The the podcast is the shortcut, but it's still not, it's still not five minutes. It doesn't prevent you from having to do it yourself. You still have to do it. It's a million percent right. Like, yeah. And I don't know, like I, I do my best, like I do my best to get it to people. I do my best to make it interesting. Um, I avoid like the plague all the people who do who do the rounds, the diabetes rounds, like, you know what I mean? They're saying the same crap over and over again in 16 different places. They've been on every blog. You know, you see them like talking in 16 Instagram accounts. They're all saying the same crap. And, you know, they're they're. I don't know what they're looking for. Clicks, maybe. Like, I have no idea. But the content to me is not it's not accessible. And I don't usually like talking like that. Like, I don't like saying out of the box and accessible and meet people where they are and like that. All the, all the jargon. Yeah. All the company yeah. Yeah. Jargon. But, are you going to, uh, let's see. Oh, now see, they're all falling out of my head, but yeah. Sorry. No, 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 please. J- j- all that. Anything you've heard on a meeting at work, I'm not going to say. <laughs> and, oh, we're not going to boil the ocean here today. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a way that people talk to say nothing. Yep. And so there's these, I just had someone explain this to me yesterday. He hears this. He's going to be like, I can't believe my thoughts are on the podcast. But we were, we were talking about somebody I do business with. And I said, I don't understand why more companies don't have me speak at events. And by the way, I don't even know if I would say yes, but I don't understand why they would. And he said, well, because everyone sticks with safe and what they know. And so it's this narrow cast information that is neither incredibly helpful or incredibly not helpful. It's banal. Okay. Mm. Like, and they will feed you that banal information until the end of time. Companies, Instagram accounts, influencers, they're all going to say the same crap. 
because it doesn't take any thought. It's not going to offend anybody. It's not really going to help anybody, but it's not going to hurt you either. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's just down the middle. It doesn't, you don't have to infer from it. You don't have to learn. You don't have to do anything. You can be a passive passenger on their content express and they get clicks and then they sell those numbers, those clicks for ads. Right. And you might think, well, yeah, Scott, you're doing the same thing, but I'm not. I consciously decided to say what people need to hear so that that will help them so that they will share it with someone else. And then that creates the clicks. And then full disclosure, I sell those clicks for ads. Which is what why we continue to keep getting the podcast. For free. So, That's yeah. why on a Friday afternoon at three o'clock, I can sit here <laughs> chatting with you, recording it, and then putting it up for people to hear. Because there's going to be two ads on this episode. Those people will pay me money for those ads. And that provides me an income so I can make the episode, the podcast, which by the way, is not, I don't think, I don't think that's surprising to anybody, but the difference is, is that the content is valuable and, and it's not just valuable, but it's entertaining or engaging. And that's the other thing, because I'm not the only person, listen, between you and me, Natalie, a couple of people try to rip me off every year. Like there's content out there that just sounds like they listened to Jenny and I on the on the pro tip series and they repurposed it, but they don't have whatever it is that makes this work. And I, I don't even know how to quantify that to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know why it's working. I I can't take credit for it. I couldn't probably reproduce it. If you asked me to like whatever happened here, like whatever made you say the kind things you said earlier about the podcast I didn't do them on purpose. I just made the podcast and that was your experience. They're out there. I don't know. Bad voice, bad timing. Maybe they're just not likable. Like who knows? I'm not likable to some people for damn sure. You know what I mean? But I also don't like, I don't vanilla myself up so that I don't offend anybody. Like I, I just like, like I said, I got an, I got a, a review the other day, and I'm like, that person doesn't like me, but it's not terrible. And I'm like, perfect. I'm right on that line. And that's kind of where I want to be, you know? So anyway, I have a lot of big thoughts about this that I'm sure are boring to people, but there's a way to get this information to people and to not waste their time. And I mean, honestly, and if you don't agree with me, please say, but aside of diabetes, this is a good podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. There, I mean... There's definitely episodes that I've listened to just for the pure entertainment value of of the episode. I still listen multiple times a week to the podcast because I find that that I enjoy the the information and I know that it has helped me so much that I like hearing how it's helped other people as well. Cool. Do you think I could do it if it wasn't about diabetes? Do you think if I left a niche, like people would listen to me interview people about other stuff? You you have a way of pulling things out of people that's really entertaining. Now, you know, in my case, when I first started listening to you and I would get irritated with you for one reason or another, but I kept listening because the info was good. If it wasn't something that that the info was good, then I don't know that I would have listened to it as long as what I did. So I grew on you like a fungus, you're saying? Absolutely. Oh, that's Scott, perfect. Thank you. You're a mushroom. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think that's terrific. 
like the way content is delivered nowadays, right? Like the face, the forward face of content. I'm not the mold for that. Like I didn't say mold like fungus, although that would have been amazing if I did that. <laughs> that would have been really yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I'm not the mold. Like I'm not young. I'm not pretty. I don't just like say things that are, you know, just vanilla. So nobody can disagree with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, somebody told me recently that I'm like my, I have aggressive opinions and, and I was like, Oh, I don't know that about myself. <laughs> I was like, really? And they're like, yeah, you're like, she's like, you're like unapologetically you. And, and she's like, I like it. She goes, but I could see why, where it might scare somebody. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I don't know that about myself. Like, this is just how I am. Like, I'm not out here acting like a thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're just being you. Um, yeah. But anyway, like it so that is part of my plan, by the way, was to put out information that was so good that even people who didn't like me would kind of be forced. You've heard me say on the podcast before, my favorite review basically says, I hate that guy, but my A1C is so good that I listen to this podcast. Like that's my I swear to you, that's my favorite review. Well, and every time I hear you talk about that review, I giggle to myself because I will tell you the first couple episodes that I listened to, I was like, who does this guy think he is? Why is he talking over these people? And and then you went through the phase where you actually started looking at how much you talked versus how much they talked. And so I think you made some adjustments there. But, um, you know, you said it earlier, you've grown, you've evolved. And I think the interviews now are really entertaining to listen to. I'm so glad. Like we said, it, the info was so good that that I kept listening. I hooked you. I kept you here against yep. your, basically against your will. And then, much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've basically been human trafficked, is what you're saying. Oh, well, <laughs> ear, ear traffic, ear maybe. Traffic, I've, yeah. I've had to listen to you. By the way, there's a great example of something most people wouldn't say. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's very true. And and even as I'm here, I'm like, yeah, I I like I don't think I shouldn't have said it. I just think it's not something I don't even know what I meant by it, to be perfectly honest with like you got hijacked, basically. Like, And and I just don't have I want to say that I don't care, but that's not true. I just think that the ends. I don't think that's right either. I was going to say the ends justify the means, but I don't think that's right either. I, I guess what I believe is, is that this has to be enticing some way or another. Because it's information about diabetes and who in the hell wants to listen to that? Like, that's just what I think of it. You ever see the movie Private Parts? Do you know what no, that movie I don't is? Think so. Okay, Private Parts is like a, it's like a, a movie about the Howard Stern's career. And there's this. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, I, I probably did watch it, but it's been a long time. Okay. And so there's this, there's this scene. I don't know if it's real or it's not, but he goes into a different market they're having these reactions to him and they're doing the, the, you know, the, the people who he works for are looking at the data and they're looking at the feedback from people and they're talking about how long people who like Howard Stern listen to him. They say, Oh, like the average listener who says that they like the, uh, I don't know the whole quote, but like the, who says they like him listen for this long when asked why they listen answer most oftenly given is I want to hear what he'll say next. And then they say the people who don't like him, they actually listen longer than the people who do like him. And when they're asked why, they said, I want to hear what he's going to say next. Next. <laughs> and part of that is what I'm doing here, whether you know it or not. So, um, <laughs> I making just, it so we want to hear what you say next. Scott. That's, that's all. Like, you just like, 
is he going to say something stupid? Let me, let me find out. Like, is this going to be like valuable? Is it going to be like a tearjerker? I mean, honestly, like some of the episodes are, I mean, people say that there are times that while people are talking, I'm thinking, are you sure you want to say this? You know, like, and we'll get to the end and we're not being recorded anymore. And I'll go like, hey, you said some fairly personal stuff back there. Are you okay with that? For sure. Like, we're not being recorded anymore. Like, now's the time. Just go, I shouldn't have said that. And they're like, no, no, no. I I want it to help other people. And everyone always comes from that perspective. And I think that's part of why it works is because now the people who are coming on the show are saying, this show helped me. I've got some odd stuff in my life that I didn't think would have happened to anybody else, but it turns out um, I might be wrong about that. This crazy stuff happens to everybody. And let me go tell my story so somebody else can feel like how I felt. And so I, I can't thank those people enough. You're so authentic, Scott. And then you bring your guests on and you allow them to be authentic too. And I would have never guessed in a million years that I would reach out to you and say, hey, I think I need to be on your podcast. But it it was in that that interest of helping people and telling what's happened to me so that maybe other people can identify with it as well. And it hopefully will help them. Yeah. That's a great place to stop. Okay. Thank you, Natalie. I I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Hold on one second. You can use the same continuous glucose monitor that Arden uses. All you have to do is go to Dexcom.com slash juice box and get started today. That's right. The Dexcom G7 is sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box podcast. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juice Box Podcast private Facebook group, Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, type 2, gestational, loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording. WrongWayRecording.com.